welcome to T21 Mom. Hi friends, it's Mary and this is episode 96 of the T21 Mom podcast. And on today's episode, I am talking to a woman named Melissa Hart. She is an author and obviously we're going to be talking about her latest book, which is called Daisy Woodworm Changes the World. And it's a book geared towards tweens, you know, ages eight to 14. But we also talk a lot about the sibling relationship as she grew up with a younger brother who has Down syndrome. And also one of the main characters in her book also has Down syndrome. And I really enjoyed talking to her and, you know, seeing what it was like to grow up with a sibling who has Down syndrome in the seventies and eighties. You know, I think we've come a long way since then, but at the same time, I think we still have a long ways to go and a lot of changes still to be made, but things are so different now with social media. It is so easy to find people and, you know, and the challenges that her mom would have had raising, you know, them and her, her brother who has Down syndrome. It was such a fun conversation and I really enjoyed talking with her. So let's go have a listen. Today on the T21 Mom podcast, I'm talking with author and journalist, Melissa Hart, who also has a younger brother with Down syndrome. Welcome, Melissa. Oh, thanks so much. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm more than happy to have you on today. And, and I'm excited to hear about your book and about, you know, your story of having a sibling with Down syndrome. So, you know, before we get started, why don't you just tell us a little bit about you? Yeah, sure. So when my brother was born, he's five years younger than I am. It was it was 1975, and and I remember it as being pretty tumultuous. You know, I I guess it will come as no surprise to some listeners that the pediatrician told my parents to put him in an institution because he would never amount to anything. And my mom basically said, over my dead body, am I putting my son in an institution? And she pivoted, you know, in an instant and learned everything she could about pediatric therapy, uh, physical therapy, and speech therapy, and had him in therapy from the time that he was an infant. And she raised him exactly like she raised my sister and me. And she let it be known to both of us that he was no different and we were not to treat him differently. And so I grew up with him being my husky little brother who woke me up at 5.30 on Saturday mornings wanting to play softball and (laughs) enraged me at times. And we were also best friends. We would go to the park together all the time where we lived near Los Angeles and we loved, this is so embarrassing, but we loved to play the guitar and sing old Peter Paul and Mary songs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. And I do hear that often that parents, you know, other siblings, they say they didn't treat us any different, which I think is just so important. And how devastating, though, for your mom, you know, them just, you know, she's just given birth and basically they just already have everything mapped out for him, you know, and saying he'll never amount to anything. It's just so devastating. And I can't even imagine what that would be like in 1975. It's so different now, you know, know, and your mom, like, I'm so thankful to 
parents like your mom who they're the ones who blaze the trail for us yeah. today. Yeah, I do a lot of journalistic work around adults who have Down syndrome, particularly those who are, you know, doing some pretty significant things in the fields of sports, athletics, and acting, and modeling, and entrepreneurship, and things like that. And I, I'd, I'd like to think that no pediatrician says that to parents these days. I, I hope so. You know, like I recently had on a filmmaker, Oliver uh, Bernier, and they happened to be filming while their son was born and they didn't know that he had Down syndrome and just the reaction of the pediatrician, like they she didn't even, hadn't even held the child yet, their son, and they told him he has Down syndrome and it, and it wasn't overly positive. So, and that wasn't that long ago. I think he's eight now. I, I think so. Not a lot has changed. You know, I mean, yes, it's better, but, and I don't, you know, we're not putting our kids in institutions, but, right. you know, I still think we have a long way to go on, you know, how we deliver a diagnosis and, and, you know, celebrating our kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you were five years apart. So are you the middle child or is your sister? No, I'm the oldest. You're the oldest. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so, and is, is Mark the youngest then? He is the youngest. Okay. Yeah. He's okay. the baby. He's the baby. Well, I had, I grew up with three brothers, so I know exactly what it's like to have a brother. Mm -hmm. So I, I can imagine some of the shenanigans you guys got into. <laughs> <laughs> no, so you were five when he was born. Like, do you recall when you realize like around what age you realized that he was different and about how old were you when you understood what down syndrome was um i recall i i realized he was different when i was five when he was born i have very vivid memories of my great grandmother being there uh, right after my mother's delivery and agreeing with the pediatrician that he should go in an institution Granted, this was my great-grandmother, so she came from a completely different era. But I think my, my dad was probably on the fence as well about whether or not to institutionalize him. And so I remember all the drama and the hushed discussion and the anger and, and my mother just being enraged about these people wanting to take away her kid. I guess, when did I realize Down syndrome as a genetic condition? Maybe maybe eight or nine, mm -hmm. I would say. Because my mom was a journalist as well. Okay. And was very, very good at explaining things clearly. And so um, did a really good job of letting my sister and I know what Down syndrome is and the particular physical characteristics and developmental characteristics of our brother. Oh, fantastic. I think I also knew at a young age what Down syndrome was. I mean, I just remember that we, my brothers always had a soccer exchange in with Seattle. And I remember asking the, the young boy that was at staying with us, who, who would have been younger because it was my younger brother. And I said, oh, how come your brother didn't join? I can't remember exactly the situation, but he, he said, oh, he has Down syndrome. 
Mm -hmm. I said, Oh, okay. And that was it. I knew what it was. And then I, I bet I remember seeing his brother out on the field and, and parents, you know, playing with him. Like I, what I remember are fond memories of how he was being treated. I remember they were giving him some candy and, and things like that. And I was actually kind of jealous because I didn't get any, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, but I, you know, I, I don't remember anything negative at that time about it, but Mm -hmm. it was just, that was probably really my first introduction really. And I think I was about, yeah, maybe a little bit older, maybe 10. So yeah, that sounds like about, I think the age is that kids kind of start to understand, I think. What I so. yeah. yeah, eight, nine, ten. So recently, a friend of mine, she was talking about her younger son, and who I think is five, and her older son has Down syndrome, and World Down Syndrome Day was coming up, and her younger son didn't want to talk about World Down Syndrome Day because some kids had teased him about his older brother being different. Yeah. You know, with you being the older sibling, so the dynamics are slightly different. Like, did this ever happen to you? Did you ever encounter anything quite like this before? I got pretty lucky in that I had really good, smart friends when I was growing up. And they really, they really just embraced Mark. Not so much the kids with developmental disabilities, intellectual disabilities at our school. Mm-hmm. Mark and I went to different schools, mm-hmm. but those kids who went to our junior high and high schools who might have had Down syndrome or intellectual disabilities did not get the same grace. <laughs> I remember distinctly one boy in particular at our high school and kids just laughed at him and they would ask him to break dance and they would give him pennies. And he was just delighted with the attention and never realized that they were making fun of him. Mm-hmm. And so I I was pretty lucky, but other kids, not so much. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's kind of what I, I hear too. So would you have any I guess, words of wisdom, you know, from a, maybe from a sibling perspective to give to a parent for something like that, because I, it was so heartbreaking when I heard that and, you know, like, what do you do? I just, because I've done so much research into people with Down syndrome who are, who are, who are doing really positive things Mm -hmm. because there's so much out there, particularly on the internet now, highlighting these people who are just superb athletes and entrepreneurs, et cetera. I think the more exposure to role models like those young people and older people, like, you know, quirky from Life Goes On, the more exposure to media featuring people with Down syndrome the better. I and so many other journalists are working so hard to 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 kind of put this demographic in the spotlight because I think too often they've been sidelined, and I don't I just I don't think that's doing anybody any favors. Oh, definitely. But that's so wonderful to hear because it's just such a a battle, really. But yeah. to hear that other people like yourself and other journalists are wanting to see this happen and happen and also to celebrate our differences you know you know and i think often 
with Down syndrome is that people just don't give our kids a chance. Yeah. And they just have this uh, preconceived notion of what they're like. And, you know, and it's generally always negative. It's not good. And so it's wonderful to, yet, like you said, like to see our kids out in the, in mainstream, in books and TV and film, sports, doing all these amazing things. Cause then people can appreciate our kids so much more. You know, and I'll say that I, I feel pretty optimistic. I think film in particular and TV and books, of course, can really help change public perception. And I believe the the live action film that just won the Oscar for best live action was set in Ireland. And one of the main characters is a young man with Down syndrome. And it was a fantastic film, by the way. Yes, I do that, need to see it. I haven't seen it, but I... Yeah. I definitely have to see it and oh it's oh it's good it's good well it's oscar worthy so it has to be good so how fantastic is that like no one saw that coming and then they all everyone sung happy birthday to him it was amazing yeah i I think i was crying when i saw it yeah and we've got the new woody harrelson vehicle champions i have not seen champions yet um I like what I've seen from the previous. <laughs> I've seen it and I loved it. it oh, was, good. Okay. It was a great movie. Oh, I'm so glad. Kudos to Woody Harrelson. I believe he also <laughs> produced it. Okay. Yeah. So, and it was just, and it's very funny, the film and the characters <laughs> are, are funny and a little bit outrageous. It was, it was awesome to see. So I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was a, it was a great movie. I, I loved it. Yeah. A female character, uh, Madison Tevlin, I think her name is, isn't she Canadian? She's doing some pretty remarkable things. She has a talk show and she interviews people who look different. And I forget, she's got a super clever name. I'm, it's just so much fun to see the accomplishments that these, these people are making. Yes, it is. I love seeing all the things in my, face, in my uh, Facebook feed of what <laughs> kids are doing these days. Yeah. Wonderful. So you've written a book, Daisy Woodworm Changes the World. And are there similarities between you and the main character Daisy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was as big uh, of a science nerd. Although I loved botany when I was growing up, and always had a million plants growing on my dresser. I don't think I was as insect obsessed as Daisy, mm-hmm. but definitely I was a junior high and high school runner, and got into some mischief with the team and. Really, a lot of the emotion behind Daisy's relationship with her brother, Sorrel, or Squirrel, as she calls him, is directly based on my relationship with my brother, who, I don't know, he's always been obsessed with fashion. He is just a fashion plate. He is the most stylish stylish man I know. And also, like Squirrel, has played every Special Olympics sport there is, and spoiler alert, had his heart broken on the dance floor by a longtime girlfriend who informed him that he was boring and left him for his best friend. Oh, she's right at that. That's right in the book. So, (laughs) because there was a few quotes that sort of caught me early in the book that Daisy had said is about, she said she hated having to be so responsible and everyone else's needs seemed so much more important than mine. Did you feel that often 
Yeah, most definitely. I mean, yeah, my sister and I both grew up feeling that our needs were not particularly important. And I I don't know. I responded to that by, you know, getting straight A's and being an overachiever and palling around with my brother and helping to teach him to read. And that's just the way it was. I, I don't know if it's still that way in families. That would be interesting to find out. Yeah, I don't know. My daughter's an only child. So, okay. you know, I don't know, but I hear different things from different families, you know, basically like what you said is they're worried that their child with down syndrome overshadows their other children you know and a lot of it especially in the early years there's a lot of therapy and a lot of medical appointments and sometimes the other siblings don't necessarily really understand that they just feel like there's all this attention on this one sibling and they're right. kind of left out a lot like did you feel that way at all like no, I didn't feel left out. I had my own things going. <laughs> you know, I really looked to friends and and journalism and running and theater and things like that as I was growing up and honors classes. So I was very lucky. Yeah, and I think you just sort of touched on it. It's like, make sure that your child has other things to do, like other yeah. interests. So, yeah. you know, that they can feel involved in their own sort of circle their own right. world right and it's not just all about their sibling with down syndrome yeah yeah definitely so do you want to give a little brief synopsis of the book i thought it was a really cute read i really enjoyed it <laughs> it was really fun to write so yeah brief synopsis the main character is daisy woodworm that's her nickname mm -hmm. a 14 year old amateur entomologist and track and field star who gets a school project to change the world for the better mm -hmm. and decides to help her brother who has down syndrome fulfill his dream of being a youtube fashion influencer the problem is their parents are super overprotective of him and they have forbid him to appear on social media so does daisy break their trust and go behind their back and help squirrel or does she adhere to their very strict rules and flunk her project altogether perfect yeah and you know i thought it was also interesting in the book that you gave uh daisy a lisp in yes. the story so almost like her own little disability as well mm -hmm. and what was the reasoning behind that yeah, well, I have one, and you probably can't hear it right now. It comes out when I do a lot of public speaking, and when I'm really tired, or when I have been running long distance on asphalt too much, but I grew up with a slight lisp, and I just thought it was interesting to give her that added challenge, um, because I was bullied to some degree in junior high, and I was looking for a reason that Daisy might be bullied, um, because that's definitely one of the themes in the book is, you know, how to cope with bullies and how to really be an ally, how to dive in there and put yourself on the line for somebody who's being marginalized and really help them to overpower bullies. So I wanted to explore that both as allies show up for Daisy and for her brother. Mm -hmm. 
Oh yeah, it's a it's a really lovely story. Now I'm in lots of different Down syndrome groups, and like I'm hoping that we can sort of really explore like obviously talk about your book, but also to explore Uh the sibling relationship. I'd love that. Yeah. You know, and did you find growing up and, and it's kind of a shows in your book as well. Like I often hear, and it's also my experience that their child with down syndrome just gets so much attention. Often it's like, you know, the medical stuff and therapy things, but often when they go out, it's almost like, rock star like in mm. almost everywhere we go somebody knows my daughter which is great she's an only child so it's, it doesn't really impact anyone else but i do hear this from other parents that when they go out there's all this attention shown to their child with down syndrome but it's like the other child almost doesn't exist you know or they're kind of ignored did you experience this or how did you handle this or or do you have any suggestions for parents on how they can handle that- is such a wonderful question with probably an unexpected answer. So when you think about it, my brother and I were growing up in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. And in that era, kids looked the other way. Mm-hmm. Parents looked the other way. Or kids stared and pointed and parents smacked their hands down and said, don't stare yeah. at you know, at the freak or whatever. So completely different. We didn't have people with Down syndrome in the media back then. We didn't have social media, but we had, what did we have? We didn't even have Rain Man at that point. We had of Mice and Men, which was a representation of somebody with an intellectual disability. It's just villainy. So... You know, I remember when my brother got a little older, when we were in our 20s and 30s, he would come to visit me from California to Oregon. And even then, I remember we were in the grocery store once and this little girl smiled at him and he smiled back and went to give her a high five and her mom dragged her away and said, don't talk to people like that. And then that night, I think we went to a bar and it was Halloween and all the college boys from the UO, University of Oregon, were there and they were kind of giving him sidelong glances and like, what's wrong with him? And then they started playing Michael Jackson and he tore up that dance floor and (laughs) won so much respect that night. Oh, I love it. All sorts of things, all sorts of reactions from the public. But no, when we were growing up, he was not treated like a rock star. He was marginalized. He was stared at. He was pointed at and laughed at when we went out um, and and then patronized in certain situations, like grocery store cashiers would patronize him. And, yeah. and he, he had a ready comment for all of them. Yes. Do you care to share what that is? Would you Would you like me to? Yeah. So <laughs> I've written about this. So they would patronize him. They would pat him on the head and say, oh, how are you, sweetheart? You poor thing. And he would look up with his big blue eyes and he would say, I like your big boobs. <laughs> oh, that is so awesome. <laughs> self-advocacy at a young age oh that that's priceless and I love it I love it (laughs) 
is so great. He had everybody's numbers. <laughs> and I and I like that you about the Michael Jackson because just like Squirrel in the in the book, he loves Michael Jackson and can do his dance moves. So that's fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah, I kind of had to fight for that Michael Jackson because you know that guy. <laughs> yeah. He, He's not so popular in today's circles, but I, I mean, I know so many people with Down syndrome who adore Michael Jackson's music. And he has fabulous music. Yes. So, you know, right. leave it at that, right? That he, yeah, we, we got that in there. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the, like, kind of also about how their child with Down syndrome tends to get a lot of attention. Like we have World Down Syndrome Day. So, yeah. you know, everyone kind of goes crazy that day wearing their crazy socks and doing all sorts of great things, which is fantastic. Yeah. But a lot of parents have said, you know, their child with Down syndrome has their own special day. They also want to highlight their other kids, not just on their birthday to have their own special day. like. What's your thought on that? Like, I mean, obviously there wasn't World Down Syndrome Day because I think it didn't really start until the 90s, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. For growing up, but like what, if you, if there was World Down Syndrome Day when you're growing up, like what would your thought be? Would you want to have your own special day or? Oh, that is a brilliant question. I need to think back on, wow. I guess as a sibling, I, I might have resented it. Mm -hmm. I, I feel two ways about that. I might have resented it or I might have been all in. Uh, wow. I just, I can't go that far back in my memory. <laughs> but it also uh, could be like maybe depending on your age too, right? I think if you're right. maybe late in your teens or later teens, you might be more all in. I would in. have jumped all in. Absolutely. I would have organized it at my junior high and high school. I think when I was younger, I would have resented it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because my mom was the kind of mom, if she threw a birthday party for one kid, the other kids each got a little present as well. So she, I just, I'm trying to think of what kind of day I would have wanted in celebration of myself. And I, I really can't think of one. <laughs> but would you want something special for you? Do you think? I would have. I don't think I would have actually. No, I mean, now they have World Children's Day, right? Okay. I didn't know. But... Yeah, they, there's a day for everything. everything. There's a day for hot dogs, you know? <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I think you nailed it. I think as a younger kid, I would have resented it unless I had another special day. And as a junior high and high school student, I probably would have helped to plan World Down Syndrome Day in my hometown. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. And I'm, I'm sure parents will appreciate that. Yeah. So, like, did you ever, well, I guess it's hard to answer this because the times are a bit different yeah. than, than now but did you ever feel kind of overshadowed or left out or that your accomplishments were overlooked I know for us and for my daughter I and I know I speak for lots of parents we celebrate big any milestone doesn't matter oh. how small we celebrate big because they work so hard to get there and I don't know if that was the same when your brother was growing up but did you ever feel that your accomplishments were sort of overshadowed next to your brothers? 
I guess I have to explain a little bit more about our family dynamic. That's probably why I'm stumbling a bit. So my parents got divorced when I was nine or well, how old was I? Maybe I was 10 and my brother was five. Um, and it was a very, very ugly divorce. It was fraught for a variety of reasons. We ended up not being allowed to live with our mom. We were only allowed to see her two weekends a month. We lived with our dad who was already had a record for domestic abuse and continued abusing his next wife. And so, you know, he and my stepmother were really busy with their own relationship and any extra attention uh, went to my brother. My mom was absolutely our champion. And I felt like my accomplishments where she were, was concerned were big and celebrated, but I didn't get to live with her. Right. And so they were mostly, almost, I'd say, completely ignored by my dad and stepmother. I will speak for my sister and say the same went for her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what about your brother? Um, I wouldn't say celebrated. I would say it was just such a difficult situation. You know, here is this stepmother thrown into parenting three kids, one of whom has pretty significant needs in the early 80s. And, you know, she did her best. My dad was largely out of the picture. Um, my mom did a great job celebrating his accomplishments. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's great to hear. Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, and everyone's family dynamic is different. So I thank you for sharing that. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> so it, it's obvious from your book how much daisy loves her brother and is yeah. protective of him do you have any advice you could give parents who are struggling for that balance between their child with down syndrome and their typical children oh that is such a good question i mean now you've got me thinking about how playful you could be as a parent in choosing a special day for your other kids that isn't World Down Syndrome Day. For instance, there's International Cat Lovers Day. <laughs> Not a child who loves cats. There really is a day for everything. There's National Snow Cone Day. If you've got a kid who loves snow cones, celebrate that. You, you could really be so playful in embracing all kids' accomplishments, interests, passions, that sort of thing. Um, that doesn't really answer your question, though. I just, I think, wow, I think if my parents could have a do-over, <laughs> don't we all wish that? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> I think that it would have been wonderful if they had set aside, okay, I'll just be specific, if they had set aside two hours a week to spend with each of us a special one-on-one -on -one time doing exactly what we wanted to do and deeply listening to us. Mm -hmm. That even just two hours a week of bonding time would have meant so much. It would have been so affirming. And, you know, I only have an only child as well. My husband and I have one daughter and she is actually adopted from the foster care system and has some pretty significant ADHD. And right away, knowing that when we adopted her, she was 19 months old and had significant early childhood neglect and trauma, we immediately came across that advice 
to each spend quality time week to week with her. And we've been doing it for the last 15 years. And so, I mean, if time is available, if if you can, you know, if you're not working six jobs, and if you are even just sitting on the couch and watching a movie that the that a child picked mm -hmm. together can be so meaningful. No, I think that's excellent advice that, yeah. you know, that I think we have to try to incorporate so that it yeah. we can make it feel balanced for all of our kids because, you know, like you said, young, when you're younger, you don't quite get all the nuances and the challenges that, you know, yeah, there is going to be more time spent with the child with Down syndrome, just out of need, out of necessity. You know, like my daughter was a late walker. I spent so much time trying to get her to walking. I mean, she was four. So, you know, I can't imagine if I had another child, like what that would have been like at that time. It was, it was probably the most emotional time for me in raising, she's 10 now in raising her so far. Yeah. yeah it was like the most mentally challenging and emotionally challenging time. So yeah, I think I some visual clues, cues that you can give kids as well. I think photos of all of the kids in their various latest accomplishments posted prominently around the house mm -hmm. go a long way. Oh, I, I love that. Yeah, maybe even having, as we do, a big whiteboard on the refrigerator mm -hmm. and just writing accomplishments like congratulations so and so for the. The animal got a math for learning to ride a bicycle or for remembering to feed the dog. <laughs> I think it would be so playful and have so much fun uh, affirming all of your kids. Yes, I, that's awesome. I love that. That's great. Now, I like we were chatting before, I think it's just so fantastic to see our kids getting center stage in like books like yourself, yours, TV shows and films. It's just so fantastic. And what is the name of your first book? Because you have a, 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 your first book also has a character with Down syndrome. And is it also geared to sort of the tween age, which is what uh, your, the book we're talking about today is geared towards? Yeah, I actually have uh, hmm, five, maybe six. I forget. Five published books. <laughs> okay, my apologies. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Two of them are memoir. And uh, one of them has the hefty title, Better With Books, 500 Diverse Books to Ignite Empathy and Encourage Self-Acceptance in Tweens and Teens. And that book has an entire chapter devoted to 50 different novels and memoirs, which include kids with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, novels published in the last 12 years. And so people will want to check out all those titles. But my first middle grade novel for kids, say fifth through eighth grade, yeah. was Avenging the Owl, which is set in Eugene, Oregon, where I live, and directly based on the eight years that I spent learning to rehabilitate and train injured and orphaned birds of prey. And one of the main characters ends up being the protagonist's best friend, and his name is Eric, and he is a 15-year-old boy with Down syndrome, and oddly, he is also obsessed with insects and all things Oregon flora and fauna, and really turns out to be the hero of the story in some ways. Oh, fantastic. So we will definitely put the links in the show notes so people can check out those other books. So that's so yeah. fantastic. Thanks. 
Oh, you're more than welcome. So what is your objective or what is it that you want people to learn from having a main character with Down syndrome? Oh my gosh. Overall, I want them, I want them to be inspired to reach out a hand in friendship. In allyship, yes, but in friendship Mm -hmm. to people who have this genetic condition. I want my books to to show kids, not to teach them, but to show them in scenes and anecdotes and, and examples that people with Down syndrome make excellent, hilarious, creative friends. And I'm hoping that if parents and grandparents and other caregivers read my books to kids, they too will reach out a hand in friendship, either to their peers who have Down syndrome or their peers who have kids with Down syndrome. That's that's my overall goal. Let's let's stop the marginalization. Let's stop, you know, making the kid break dance for pennies. And let's include them authentically in our circle of friends. That's fantastic. I love that. You know, it's awesome. I love hearing stuff like that. And I mean, I think you've already answered this, but did you draw a lot on your personal experiences growing up to create the characters of Daisy and Squirrel? Yeah, quite a bit, actually. Um, as I already told you, I drew on my poor brother's breakup on the dance floor, <laughs> public breakup. I I really did tell him, oh, sweetie, there are other fish in the sea. And he really did say, but she was my fish. Uh, Yeah, I drew heavily on a lot of anecdotes. So there is a scene where um, some filmmakers are are making a film on the main street. It's actually set in Ventura, California, where we largely where we grew up. And um, yes, he actually the the star in question was actually Sandra Bullock. My mother marched him to the front of the line to meet her. You know, past all these other people said to the um, attending security guard, she's been waiting all day. And so my brother got to sit next to Sandra Bullock for a long time. And she kissed him and whispered something in his ear that he has kept secret for decades. I see lots of anecdotes directly from our lives together in the book. Oh, that is a fantastic story. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, I think oh yeah, I she was not about that. <laughs> no, I, I mean, you only know what you see, but she does. She did does seem relatively down to earth, you know, compared to I guess a lot of other celebrities how they might be. Yeah. I think your brother sounds like he's a hoot. I think I'd. Love oh, him. <laughs> he is so funny. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, so that is so awesome to hear. I love hearing these stories. Now, uh, like often, I mean, you kind of touched on it. I know your upbringing was a little bit different, I guess, than, you know, an intact family yeah. with the two parents and stuff. But, you know, I've often heard from other parents, like when they learn that their baby will be born with Down syndrome or they learn at birth that their baby is going to have Down syndrome, they're really concerned how this is going to affect like the family dynamics. You know, do you have any thoughts on this? And like, especially as Mark is younger than you, mm-hmm. like, 
did it change sort of your family dynamics? I mean, I guess it kind of did because of the times. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah, it changed, it changed them. Um, I I guess in speculating about this, I I think my father was probably much more on the side of institutionalizing him, and my mother, you know, said, "Oh no." will not do that. And I think that really is where the cracks in their marriage started. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all I remember the last, I guess it was five years of their marriage was just incessant fighting and my, my dad just being more and more absent. So yes, I would say that his birth changed the family dynamics considerably. And my dad made no effort to educate himself, no effort to learn anything about Down syndrome. I guess, you know, he was also very, very busy working. He worked 50 or 60 hours a week. Even so you'd think you'd make an effort, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, I see these heartbreaking posts on Facebook support groups for families with a kid with Down syndrome. And I want to say you, you don't, have to be heartbroken educate yourself mm -hmm. there are phenomenal role models out there both in terms of caregivers and kids babies with down syndrome educate yourself find those role models i think that is totally key because i i do hear that too is like and it's usually the mothers lamenting about the fathers and generally yeah. like they they're parting ways or what have you but yeah. the father hasn't really, or their partner has not, you know, made any kind of real effort on learning about Down syndrome because maybe they're still in denial. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know the reasons, but, but I think that is key is education is key. We need to, oh, because you're scared of, I've always believed you're scared of what you don't know. Yeah. And if you, and I knew nothing about down really about Down syndrome when I learned that my daughter Ainsley was going to have Down syndrome. So what did I do? I started yeah. reading, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm not an expert, but I certainly know more than just the general person for sure. But I'm an expert on my daughter. So, yeah. You know, when we go to appointments and things like that, you know, that's again, where you have to be an advocate and you have to know your child. And, but yeah, you're, and I always believe like knowledge is power because that's I what's going to get you further. Totally agree. And there is such a wealth of information out there now and you can get it you know, whatever your learning style is, if you do well with podcasts, obviously there are podcasts, books, movies, TV, there's just so many ways to get this information at this point. Yes, because I can only imagine what it was like for your mom. Yeah, there would be, I would guess almost nothing. Like almost nothing. Yeah, there probably were no support groups. There certainly wasn't social media. How did you find your people? Yeah, like it, I can't even imagine. And like I said earlier, is I'm so grateful to parents like your mom who said yes to taking their child home and to raising yeah. their child like their other children. Yeah. And, you know, making it easier for us now. I mean, it's still hard now. So I can only imagine what it was like back then. But I know that it's easier now than when it was for your mom. I'm so glad to hear that. Oh, you're very welcome. And I am so grateful for the parents who have gone ahead of me and, and us, because we are where we are now because of parents like your mom. Mm. Yeah. It's amazing. It, yeah. And you know, it's so grateful. And now with social media, it just, things are so much easier. It's so much easier to find people 
it's so much easier to find information. You know, I'm so, and I'm so grateful for all the people that I have gotten to know on this journey. Like it's amazing. And you know, I, without that extra chromosome, like none of this would have happened. Right. I wouldn't know all these people. I wouldn't have been having these experiences, you know, and I think we all can say that it's, you know, changed us and enriched us yeah. and, and shaped us in ways that we probably didn't expect. I guess that's the other thing that I would love to say to anybody who doesn't know is there is such a vibrant, fun, creative community, you know, available to to all of us who have, you know, who have a person with Down syndrome in our life. Mm -hmm. It's we've we've got your back. <laughs> yes, that is so true. I yeah. that's what I see time and time again. So and it it makes me feel a less nervous of what the future is, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's people that are there to help me or to guide me to, yeah. you know, support me because it makes such a difference. And again, like your mom, I'm sure it was so isolating. I mean, I feel isolated a lot of the time, but I can only imagine what it was like for her. And so yeah. kudos to her, you know, really. yeah. <laughs> now I, you know, you're, an adult, obviously. And a lot of parents, like I hear about this often, they're really concerned about their typical children having to become the caregivers for their child with Down syndrome. So what what's your thoughts on that? And, and I mean, but I also hear that there's in families, there's kids fighting over who's gonna look after their sibling with Down syndrome when their parents are no longer able to. Like what, what's your thoughts on that? I can only speak from my direct experience. I absolutely loved being a caregiver. I loved getting to, well, this wasn't so much caregiving as just hanging out with my kid brother when we would go to the park or play the Peter, Paul and Mary songs. But I absolutely adored teaching him to read and write. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I loved getting to interact with him as he grew older. I loved teaching him to hike and to snowshoe and all of that. My sister absolutely did not love any of that, had no desire to be a caregiver to him, resented him, didn't want anything to do with him. So I think it really depends on the kid and, uh, you know, what they're, what they're interested in and what their temperament is. I, I will say that you know, in my research, I've come across so many siblings who absolutely adore being caregivers and partners with their with their siblings who have Down syndrome. I'm thinking of particularly kids who are, uh, you know, CEOs of their own companies or kids who have Instagram, siblings who have Instagram accounts together or TikTok accounts together. Yeah. I mean, these kids are having a blast. All, I mean, on both sides. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I love seeing all those. Yeah. But what do you, how do you feel about though, when you both become adults, like about, <laughs> you know, your parents split and your dad mm -hmm. remarried and stuff. And I don't know what your brother's situation is now, but like, I think a lot of parents today, they worry about like, who's going to look after their yes. child. Yes. And so kind of like, how do you feel that as being a sibling? Every parent that I've ever met who has a child with any sort of intellectual disability worries about, okay, what is going to happen to this child? 
which sibling is going to take care of them. This has been an incredibly fraught situation in my family's life over the last four years. My mom passed away four years ago, and she did not make it clear in her will what she wanted to have happen to my younger brother. Mm -hmm. um, there's a variety of reasons that I think she didn't make it clear. Suffice to say that on her deathbed, she said to me, I would like you to take him, which, you know, I had known since I was 16 years old. That's just what all three of my parents had asked me to do. And I was fine with that. Mm -hmm. um, but her partner had vastly different ideas. And so he is currently living in a group home thousands of miles away from me, and there is nothing I can do about it. And so I guess I'll use this opportunity, of speaking from my absolute heartbreak, to tell your listeners to make a will ASAP and make it very clear what you wish to happen, because what is happening to my brother right now at age 47 is absolutely tragic. So, oh, I am so sorry yeah. to hear that. Yep. Yeah. Oh. And there's nothing I can do. Went to court, did all the things. If you don't put it in your will, what you want to have happen, bad things can happen. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Holy, you've left me a little bit speechless there because that's really yeah. heartbreaking to hear. Yeah, it is. I'm trying to figure out how to write about it. It's, I think it might be a couple more years before I can tackle that subject. Yeah. I mean, because it's heartbreaking because you're, you were willing. Yes. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, from the age of 16. Absolutely. And I used to teach special education. So I have a pretty good sense of, of, uh, you know what what he needed as an as a middle-aged adult so mm. yeah but most excellent advice and <laughs> you know about having a will because like i'm a single mom by choice i do have what? a partner now but that was my biggest fear is what if something happens to me and i don't have a will what's okay. going to happen to my daughter yeah. i you know i i'm confident that my family wouldn't just let her go into foster care, but you know, if you don't have anything in writing, there really is no guarantee. Yeah. So, you know, and then I chatted with my family and with my younger brother and, you know, he, you know, his, him and his wife agreed mm -hmm. they would take Ron, but like the lawyer asked me lots of questions that I hadn't even thought about. Like what yeah. happens if he dies and his wife is still alive or what happens right. if they divorce, like kind of like right. what happened with your parents and things that I hadn't thought of. So, yeah. you know, but it's, it gives you, you know, food for thought because it is important that we, you know, we have to have some kind of map for our children after we're gone. Have to. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that, but I've been love reading about, I guess, kind of Mark, but squirrel in your book about like, you know, just such a fantastic character. I've, I've really enjoyed reading about him in your book and what do you think in your opinion is like one of the greatest life lessons in having a sibling with down syndrome like how has he impacted you or changed you oh i love that question i mean just in so many ways from from the moment he appeared when i was five years old i think i just understood that people 
can look different. People can act different and they're all humans worthy of respect and compassion and and a good time. I mean, we just had such a good time when we were growing up. I would make him dress up like a girl and play charm school. And, <laughs> you know, simple makeup and the bra and everything. <laughs> <laughs> so fondly still <laughs> I just, I, and and so I I just say growing up my entire life I've I've had this gift because of my brother of of not pointing and staring or shying away but just looking people in the eye and saying hi let's be friends tell me your story yeah and I've passed it on to my kid and I think I've taught my husband and, and hopefully my writing is, is advocacy and hopefully it's inspiring people to, to not be ableist, you know, to, to reach, reach out and befriend people and be respectful and loving. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of really nailed it for me because I, I think is it allowed me to I mean, I, I think I was always, I've always been an empathetic person, but I think now it's to a greater uh, sense and, you know, and really being aware of people with differences. Yeah. I, I just remember one day my daughter was very little, we were at the park and there was a man there who was kind of just, I guess they're just enjoying the day. He was kind of leaning against the, the bathroom, but he had a very significant facial disfiguration. Like he must've been in an accident or something. And, but you know, he was just kind of away from all the action. But I remember I looked right at him and I smiled mm -hmm. and he smiled back because I am sure, like you had talked about earlier that people like have always just looked away from him, never yeah. acknowledged him, you know, just to like look in his eyes and- yeah it's to say hi you know because for some people that's a big deal that someone notices them that they're you know that they are being seen you know not for the wrong reasons but they're being seen and feeling valid and i've always remembered that and my daughter was very young at the time but because that's how i felt with my daughter in the first few years that nobody saw us people looked away at us i could see the stares in the stores or the looks and you know, and I've talked about it on other podcasts where no one would talk to us at the baby groups. I remember oh. distinctly a woman at the mother goose group. When I came in, I was late and I sat in the chair right at the door. She actually got up and moved. And oh. I've always remembered that. And I, it was, and nobody talked to me at that. And finally they eventually did when Ainsley laughed during a song and no, none of the other kids laughed except Ainsley. And there was an audible gasp when she did and yeah, it's, it's yeah. just astonishing yeah right and that legitimately happened to me and like I didn't want to go but she loved the music so I kept going and it was really it was really hard oh. and you know and I'm sure I'm not alone in these experiences and you know and I I still feel it at times you know isolation and being left out of things and and so on you know so yeah, I think a lot of us, we just, we want to be seen and we want our child to be seen. And just like in your story, squirrel being seen and being yeah. validated for, yeah. you know, who he is and, and things. So, yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. That happened just 10 years ago. 
maybe well i'm trying to think she might have been one or two so yeah eight oh. nine years ago yeah right like a lot of things haven't changed you know but i'm hopeful you know i want to, i have to be hopeful that that things will i guess what what enrages me about that is that we're talking about largely uh, pre preconceptions based on facial characteristics mm -hmm. so somebody has an extra fold of slat uh fold under their eye or their nose looks a bit different or their neck is shorter why would you why would you ostracize somebody for something like that that is just heinous mm -hmm. <sighs> and i i remember i've talked to ainsley's class more when she was younger around World Down Syndrome Day and pointing out the similarities. Like she has blue eyes like you, brown eyes like you. And she loves, don't you love pasta? Yes, Ainsley loves pasta too. Do you like swimming? Yeah, Ainsley loves that too. Like to make them realize that just because she might be a little bit different, she still yeah. loves a lot of the same things that you do. Oh, thank goodness. That's a wonderful approach. Oh, thank you. I mean, like you just do what you need to do, right? I see though that we have so much more work to do. Mm -hmm. Oh yes, yeah. Like, I do think we've come a long way since your brother, Mark, was born. Yeah. But we still yeah. have a long way to go. Right? A long way. Yeah, absolutely. But we're getting there. It's yeah. slowly, but we're getting there. Yeah. I have to say, I really enjoyed your book, Daisy Woodburn Changes the World. Great title. <laughs> and I learned a lot about the sibling relationship and also, like you talked about, about bugs. <laughs> I thought, wow, does she, I was wondering if you yourself was into that, but I am major obsessed. <laughs> That's awesome. And I found it to be a really great read for kids uh, between ages eight to 14. I was kind of curious if, if you chose that age group to write such a book for, or did it just sort of happen? I really like that age group. So we have here in Oregon, Oregon Battle of the Books. And I think there's probably book battles, maybe across the states, maybe into Canada. And, you know, where where a state will choose 16 titles and schools from around the state will read those and then compete in trivia contests based on those books. I was a coach when my daughter was doing Battle of the Books and in middle school. And I just fell in love with middle schoolers. They were sweet and hilarious and passionate and they, none of them had phones yet. So they were attentive and engaged. <laughs> I just love writing for this age group. And I, I, when I write for this age group, then I get invited into their classrooms and to do library presentations. And then I get to be with them in person or on Zoom. It's just such a pleasure to be around them. I know people say horrible things about middle schoolers and hormones <laughs> and all of that, but I find them absolutely delightful. Oh, that's wonderful. And so do you think you're going to have any more books with similar characters in them? I do. I'm working on a sequel to Daisy right now. I was I, just going to ask. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. I can't say anything too much about it, except that Squirrel is in it, and one of the minor characters is the protagonist of this one, and it will explore themes of PTSD and homelessness. Interesting. And then I'm working on a super top secret nonfiction book directly related to people with Down syndrome 
for middle school audiences and my agent is shopping it around right now and I am dying to tell you about it and I'm not allowed to. Okay. Well, when and when is that going to be out? It should be out. Oh gosh, it depends on the publisher by the end of 2024 or the beginning of 2025 and you and your daughter are the perfect audience so I'll make sure you get a copy. Oh, I would love that. And then we can chat again when that comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So where can people find your books? Oh, they can find them everywhere. They're available all over the place, in-person bookstores, online bookstores, libraries all over the place through my website, which is melissahart.com. One L, two S's, H-A-R-T. Don't get me confused with Melissa Joan Hart. From Sabrina the Teenage Witch, okay. I am not her, though I do sometimes get her fan mail. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. My books are all over the place. I just go to my website. You can read a lot of my published essays, some of which uh, talk about my brother as well. Oh, fantastic. Like I said, we'll definitely put all that in the show notes and we'll put a link for somewhere for people to get your books because I think uh, it's a great read, especially uh, for that audience. And and I really enjoyed it. I don't think you need to be a young kid. I quite enjoyed the mm-hmm. book and I thought it was really awesome to read about the relationship between siblings, like with one having Down syndrome. So I, you know, I, I thought it was wonderful. And I think parents can read it to sort of get kind of a, an idea of what it's like for their kids to have a sibling with down syndrome. I hope so. I that's a wonderful idea. I I hope that does give parents an idea. Thank you. Oh yes, I think for sure cuz there is certainly different nuances throughout the book that I wouldn't have thought of like cuz again I don't have another child. It's just yeah. my my one daughter. So, you know, I think uh parents would appreciate that like to learn, you know, from hearing from the siblings point of view without necessarily having to ask their child because some kids yeah. aren't going to be as forthcoming, I think. To explain how they might feel about having a, a sibling. Yeah, and honestly, I I am not one of those unapproachable authors. If your listeners have questions about what you know the sibling relationship or the book, or they need resources, just email me. You can email me through my website. I will reply. I I love meeting new people in this community. So have at it. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on today and and sharing about your books and sharing about the sibling perspective and, you know, what it's really like to have a sibling with Down syndrome. Yeah. Well, thank you for inviting me and my best to you and your daughter. Oh, thank you so much. And to you and and hopefully with your brother as well. Yeah. Got to give him a call right now. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks. Take care. After I stopped recording, Melissa and I actually continued talking and she gave permission for me to share this. During our conversation, uh, she talked about how when her parents divorced, that they were sent to live with her dad, who was a known abuser and continued to abuse his second wife. And really, for the most part, wasn't there for them. He worked very long hours and, you know, in the early years even wanted to put their brother in an institution when he was born. And the reason that they were sent to live with their dad, as opposed to live with her mom is because when they divorced, her mom 
had, fa- had fallen in love with another woman. And so it was deemed that it was more appropriate for them to go live with their dad, who, from what Melissa told me, was an ill-equipped parent and not the better parent. And I think this would have been about 1980. I'm hoping that wouldn't happen now. I I don't think it would. Uh, perhaps some of the listeners, you might enlighten me if this would happen where you live. I, I'm very confident where I live, this wouldn't happen. But that just shows that, you know, back then the court's, weren't doing what was the best in the best interest of the kids. They couldn't see what was better for the children, which would have been to live with their mom, who was a strong advocate for them, a strong advocate for Melissa's brother. You know, they sent them to live with her dad, who, as Melissa said, was an abuser. He wasn't really around much. He worked very long hours and, you know, had different feelings about her, her brother, you know, when he was born, wanting him to be institutionalized. I don't know how much that changed as they got older, but that is a, you know, a real tragedy. And what she also shared with me, because one of the minor characters in her book has two moms and her book is being banned. It's being banned in schools. It's being banned in the library. So please, I think it's important to show that there are different types of families out there. I'm a different type of family. I'm a single mom by choice. You know, I remember one day and I I wasn't, uh, Ainsley wasn't very old. I think maybe grade one or kindergarten, some kids, and I don't know why, asked me if Ainsley had a dad. And that took me by surprise because I was wondering why they were asking that because every child has a dad. And I, I kind of stuttered trying to answer that because Dennis is like her dad, but there are lots of different families out there. There are the typical families, a mom and dad. There are two mom families. There are single mom and dad families. There's two dad families, you know, so please support Melissa's book, you know, not just for our kids, but for the diversity of everyone, you know, support it, ask for it at your schools, ask for it in the library. So we can support diversity, not just for our kids, but for the different types of families that are out there and they're everywhere. You know, and a couple of my takeaways from this episode is, you know, Melissa talked a lot about, you know, the more exposure to media featuring people with Down syndrome, the better. And I love this. Like we are seeing our kids out there more. We are seeing them in commercials. We're seeing them in ads. We're seeing them on TV and, you know, we're seeing them in books and I've always been a big believer. You're often scared of what you don't know. And if you've never met someone with Down syndrome, or you don't know anybody with Down syndrome, chances are you're not going to be as accepting. You might even be a little bit of scared, a little bit scared of that, of them because you just don't know. But the more we can get our kids out there, I think the greater chance we have of them being accepted and for people to include them. 
you know, and she also talked about how, number two, I want my books to show kids, not to just teach them, but to show them in scenes and anecdotes and examples that people with Down syndrome make excellent, hilarious, creative friends. And I think that is so wonderful. And, you know, and I've been really struggling with this with Ainsley at school. She's got a couple, you know, nice friends. And I really hope that that will continue. And, you know, and I guess we just have to wait and see. And number three is like, Melissa talked about, let's include them authentically in our circle of friends, not just, you know, to be the hero. We want our kids to be authentically accepted and as authentic friends. And I think that's something that we all want for our kids. And number five, and I just loved this, Sandra Bullock. We all know who she is. She is a major star. How Melissa's brother waited in line to see her and that she kissed him and whispered something in his ear that to this day, he has never shared with anyone. You know, these experiences can happen for our kids and it's amazing. You know, just go out there, grab these opportunities and just run with it. You never know where it's going to take you. And, you know, and finally, that there is such a vibrant, fun, creative community available to all of us who have a person with Down syndrome in our life. I think we can all agree on that. And I just really loved how Melissa, you know, said that. And, you know, it's all, it's like, we all kind of need to have someone with Down syndrome in our life, right? Like, I really do believe that because I know for me that Ainsley has just really opened my eyes up to so many things that I otherwise would never have known about. So thanks for listening to the T21 Mum Mom Podcast. And as always, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at info at t21mom.com or you can find me on Facebook at t21mom. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at trisomy21mama. Tell me your stories, what's going on in your life, what's important to you. I would love to hear your suggestions for future episodes you know, and I'll leave me a little review. So we become more searchable for others in the Down Syndrome community. And I'll give you a little shout out on the show and let your friends know about the podcast because word of mouth is a powerful thing. So keep on loving on your rocking kiddos and I'll see you next time. <laughs>